Hello, and welcome back to What Got You Here, a podcast for leaders by leaders. I am still Megan Mahoney, your host uh, of this podcast and the founder of M2 Leadership. Today, I am super excited to introduce our second podcast guest. Uh, We took a bit of a break, break over the holiday and to gather some feedback from our pilot episode, but we are back hopefully for a monthly episode distribution, uh, so you can look forward to that. And uh, today I am once again joined by uh, what I consider to be a great friend, a great colleague, and uh, I think one of the most authentic leaders I've had the pleasure to work with. So I had to have him on as one of our very first guests. Uh, And that person is Greg Jundef Breidbart, uh, known lovingly to all who know him as Greg JB. Greg is currently the SVP of engineering at Bowie, where he's responsible for all engineering efforts. And he held previous analytics and engineering leadership roles at Cargurus and Athena Health. Uh, he lives in Massachusetts with his husband and two cats. And when Greg is not rocking out as an awesome engineering leader and visionary, he is rocking out in the band Handsome. Uh, and you can find the link uh, in the about section of this podcast. And uh, Greg really took us on his leadership journey from learning to stand in his own integrity, even as an individual contributor, through learning to bring out the best in people and manage change. And I think what really struck me about my conversation with Greg is just how human-centered his approaches, his leadership is, how thoughtful he is about finding the best in people, learning how to create the space for them to also just take care of themselves and recognize that they're whole people. And I think also just his real vulnerability, that it is something that he himself uh, is working on in real time at the same time. So I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation just as much as I enjoyed hosting the conversation. Without further ado, uh, I'll turn it over to my conversation with Greg JV. Hi folks, Megan here again. Before we get started with the podcast, I just wanted to let you know that we had a few issues with the Wi-Fi in the last very few minutes while recording the podcast. So when we get to the last few minutes in the rapid fire questions, you'll notice that Greg and I, our audio starts to overlap and I am using an editing tool that does not allow me to edit the different tracks separately. But rather than cut out the whole last segment, I just kept it all in there and edited it a little bit. So I apologize for that. But Ultimately, it seems that it just made our rapid fire questions just that much more rapid fire. So hope you enjoy them anyways. So enjoy the conversation with Greg. Hello, Greg JB, and welcome to the What Got You Here podcast. Thanks, Megan. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, I am thrilled to have you here. Uh, I have had the honor and privilege of working with you previously. And uh, while I'm sad, I don't get to see your face. In fact, I don't really get to see anybody's face in person anymore. Uh, I am psyched to to have you here on the podcast. And uh, as I noted, as we were prepping, just like super excited to learn more about you and, and your journey to uh, becoming the leader that you are today, which I know is a pretty great one. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about it. 
so before we officially get started, Greg, so you are known uh, far and wide as Greg JB. I just want to get the record straight and maybe demonstrate a quality of leadership, which is asking for feedback and uh, making sure you're getting things right. So you're, you're known as Greg JB, but your, your full name is Greg Jundef Breidbart. Did I get that correct? You got that perfectly correct. And nice job That's was the first try. That's great. When you're friends with people and you got to ask three years in, how do you pronounce your name? <laughs> That's humility. Uh, well, Greg, uh, again, welcome to the What Got You Here podcast. Um, I'm staring at your leadership journey map and I'm excited to get into it. Uh, our viewers, not our viewers, our listeners of the podcast uh, know that they cannot view your drawing. So we're going to take them on at an audio tour of, of your leadership journey. Um, but to get into it, I'd love to just ask some questions for our listeners to get to know you a little bit more as well. Um, so maybe just to kick it off, where are you a leader? In what spaces do you, do you bring your leadership potential? Work, outside of work? Um, where do you flex your leadership muscles? Yeah, so I am the head of engineering at a startup called Bowie Health. And I've been there for about one and a half years at this point. And so day in and day out, I'm leading there. Um, I think outside of work, there are a couple of spaces. One, uh, which is very near and dear to me, is uh, music. And so within my band, and it's, it's a little hard to call myself a leader there at the exclusion of my bandmates. I think we're all sort of leaders in our own way, um, but that's a really important uh, activity for me. And, you know, I think we as bandmates all sort of take turns and I've certainly, le certainly learned a lot about uh, leadership through that experience. Um, yeah, I, I think those are, those are the, maybe the two I would call out. I love it. Yeah, I was reflecting after our, our pilot podcast uh, with, with Claire, which I know you listened to, and, and I realized I had zeroed right in on asking people where they work, and we're all so much more than our jobs, right, which is part of what this podcast is all about, is how are people informed by all of their experiences outside of work as well, yeah. um, and I think also just realizing that, that leadership is exemplified in so many spaces, and I was thinking of you actually... Um, sometime in the past week or maybe it was month i don't know it's the pandemic brain uh but i was i was reading an article about the foo fighters yeah and i adore dave grohl and i was just reading this uh somewhere in the article i think it was the new york times them talking about uh grohl learning to step into his role as a leader of the foo fighters and they just like needed him to be a leader and help them make decisions and you know it was you came to mind and i don't know your bandmates i don't know if like you would be considered right the the, the, the lead leader uh, of your band, um, but just realizing that's another space where people need to step into leadership to help bring a team along. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think I actually read that article as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, within within music, it's for me at least, or for, for my band, it's, it's a very democratic process, but there are moments where I need to step in or, or others need to step in to kind of check each other um, and to, you know, sort of do the 80 20 thing and say, you know what, we don't need to overthink this. Love it. Um, so Greg, we're, we're getting into leadership talk already. Uh, to take us to step back, what's your personal definition of leadership? Yeah, so I thought about this prompt for a while. And the, I kind of 
went in circles a little bit and I decided to go with my initial, my initial definition, you know, kind of the first thing that came to mind, which is that a leader is someone who fights for what's right and motivates others to do the same. Can you read that again? Because I really liked it. I want to hear it again. Sure. A leader fights for what is right and motivates others to do the same. I love it. Fights for what's right and motivates others to do the same. Um, can you just say a little bit more about that? I 100% agree. Love it. Um, think it's just a really interesting take on, on leadership. So maybe just say a little bit more about what that means to you. Yeah. So the leaders that I've had and have looked up to in the past and have learned a lot from are folks that I've seen really represent themselves as individuals and represent themselves very authentically and have really made an effort to, um, to help bring me along and to not be, they, they haven't been afraid of standing up and, you know, sort of saying their piece or saying, sharing their opinion and, you know, helping to uh, really push, push me and push others in, in the right direction. Um, you know, at work, the way that's manifested is through leaders who have protected me or who have found opportunities for me to get uncomfortable, um, you know, outside of work that's manifested in, um, you know, uh, I guess my dad is someone who I look at who, um, you know, has, has always sort of done or tried to do the right thing. And, you know, even if it, um, you know, it wasn't a popular opinion. So I, I guess those are some of the things that, that I've thought about, um, or I, I did think about when putting this definition together. Yeah. It's, I think one of the things that struck me was, I think just noting you know, leaders in the fight for doing what's right. I think you used the the phrasing you know, aren't afraid yeah to to do that and i would add to that sometimes leaders are right and do it anyways despite being afraid absolutely yeah and i think that's one thing and maybe we'll get to this a bit when we walk through the journey map but i think in my own experience i've been really afraid in certain situations to speak up and to, and to do what's right. And it, and it does take an extra, um, uh, source of energy and extra motivation sometimes to do that. Yeah. One of the words that I, I wrote down and circled as you were talking is, is the word integrity. I mean, that really just jumps out to me in your definition and knowing you doesn't surprise me at all that that is a theme within your definition of leadership. So to me, I think one of the things that as a as a coworker of you, when I developed uh, a work crush on your leadership persona, it was seeing the way in which you just brought integrity and authenticity to everything that you do. And actually, I've been inspired multiple times with you. Uh, secret to to let our listeners in on multiple times just by seeing you, despite perhaps being afraid or not, I don't know, just stepping into hard conversations for the sake of what's right. Right. And for me, I learned a lot uh, watching you do that. 
being like I remember just kind of like damn I can't believe he like could speak up like that in a meeting or just like went in that person's room and said that thing I never would have done that so I really very so much appreciate I... that and that is extra motivation for me to, to make sure to not break your heart now that I know you have a, a crush on my leadership persona <laughs> yeah that's that's uh, that's that's why I bring people on this podcast just to scare them into never breaking my heart. So you're on to my game, Greg. Well, let's do this. Let's get into your leadership journey map and uh, learn along with you about sort of how you arrived at your perspective on on leadership and and the way you're able to lead in this way. So uh, as I think I'll need to ask our guests to do, since this is an audio podcast based on a very visual thing, um, would love to just start by having you give us a verbal description of uh, what is on your leadership journey map. And, and maybe we'll start there with just like literally what's on the page. Uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll have you take us through what all of this means to you. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. So on the page there are a bunch of icons and <laughs> I'm looking at a PDF version of what I generated in a piece of software called draw.io, which I use to build system designs and org charts and all sorts of things. And I told Megan earlier that I'm an awful visual artist and drawer. So I thought this was really the best way for me to create a map. And so there are a bunch of different icons. Um, they look kind of like, they sort of range, I guess, from your standard computer icons, you know, like chat bubbles and I don't know, a recycling bin and like little stick figures, um, you know, all the way to sort of more interesting, more colorful ones, like a wall with a fire in front of it and a ship steering wheel. Um, and then they're sort they're grouped in um, what I, what I, would call milestones or moments um, that, as I was thinking, I found were really informative and important in my uh, leadership journey. That's great. I am very excited to learn more about the fire next to the wall, among other things, as well as what looks like a farmer somewhere in there, perhaps, uh, <laughs> and some construction workers. Um, there's also a person in a potted plant. <laughs> there's a person in a potted plant. And uh, I think somebody running towards a champion's cup or something tied to their head. That's right. So there's a whole <laughs> lot of good stuff to be learned here. Um, so let, let's get into it. Uh, it begins with a stick figure that says, it's me, Greg, yep. uh, which, which I love. So, so Greg, what I would love to just jump into this in, in whatever way you would like to, what, you know, what I was thinking was maybe just bring us to the map. We don't, ha you don't necessarily have to go into deep detail on all of, all of the different, uh, sort of aspects of your journey here, but, you know, if, if we were sitting down and I said, you know, Greg, take five minutes to, to take us through this journey map, we'd just love to have you do that in your own words. And um, I'll probably ask some questions along the way. And then, you know, we'll take some deeper dives into some of these different crucible moments uh, and some of their themes uh, following that. Sound yeah, good? that sounds great. All right. Go Excellent. For it. Okay. So the first one, as you noted, is me. And it's green because that's my favorite color. So 
I just want to point that out because I do show up in one other part of this journey map. So the next area is a speech bubble. It's a little icon of a robot and book. And this is really, I, I had to think back and I, I wanted to really start before my career to see what in what I felt like informed my, my path. And when I was younger, one of the first things that I, I sort of remember, you know, in my like early adolescent years, I guess, is that I actually taught myself how to write code. And, and I did that because I was part of this online community um, called IRC, which stood for Internet Relay Chat. It's rarely used at this point. And it was something that I just discovered one day and was really interested in not just the other people there, but actually the way that some of the, um, there were like robots that sort of controlled different chat rooms and that type of thing. And I found myself really interested in that. And so I actually, that was like a really big jumping off point for me where I sort of um, spent a lot of time teaching myself how to code um, with that as kind of the context. And um, that, really, you know, sort of, I think, set a lot of things in motion for me where I, I was learning, you know, a bunch of new skills, I was pretty young. And what I just kept doing was trying and failing and trying again. Um, you know, I would, I would get something wrong when I was coding and like, the robot or the bot that I was I was working on, you know, wouldn't work or would do something kind of silly. And so I kept trying again. Um, and I also sort of found it when doing that, that I wasn't I wasn't as uh, into, I guess, learning through through books, which is really interesting. So I, I would always like sort of pick up like different books on, you know, C or C plus plus or other things that were popular in like the late uh, late nineties at that point. And um, uh, I actually just found that my learning style was much more about doing and just having to to sit there and type and figure it out. Um, so anyway, I think that that sort of informed some pieces of what, you know, what my, my leadership style would be later. Um, and then kind of going from there, I sort of jump into my career. So the second picture, which is, um, it's gears turning, it's a bunch of people representing a team, it's a smiley face. That was my first role at Athena Health. Um, and there I was, I, I came in and I really felt the importance of the team around me and, and how supported I was. And it gave me the opportunity to actually really challenge myself, which is what those gears turning, the gears that are turning represent. Um, the uh, sort of cylinder thing with a plus sign represents my really taking time to learn uh, and kind of go, I guess, above and beyond what the, the immediate requirements were of that role. And so um, I, I sort of pushed myself more technically in that role. Um, and then, uh, you know, ended up actually moving to my second team at Athena. And it was the first time I had actually ever changed teams. And so that's kind of like what that guy with the telescope is, is I was like looking towards this other team that was more focused on technical analytics. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess that sort of informed this idea that I, um, I actually had a lot of freedom in my career and I could kind of push myself in 
directions that I was interested in or wanted to go. And I was so thankful to have a manager that really supported me and let me do that. Yeah, so I, I think one of the themes that's already showing up for me just in these two two early anecdotes or just this, I think what what sounds like to me a real hunger to to learn and and to stretch and to push yourself um, and to really explore what's possible. I, I'm curious, where do you think that comes from? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I I think maybe they're yeah, it's a good question. I, I guess I didn't even get that deep into thinking. I know, you know, when I was younger, um, my parents both actually went back to school when I was growing up and took on totally different careers. Um, or they went back to school, I should say, with the intention of doing that. And seeing them as adults with jobs that they had and um, kind of going back and, and you know, learning something new and pushing themselves day in and day out, I think had a pretty profound impact on me. Um, you know, I was in school, you know, certain subjects stood out to me more than others. But when I, I was always someone who, you know, when I was really interested in a thing, I would get really deeply interested in that thing and really push myself to learn more and more. Um, so I don't know, maybe this is starting to sound like an analytical therapy session, but I think I think that's kind of where it comes from. <laughs> yeah, so the, the line can be blurred sometimes uh, in podcast sessions with me or coaching sessions. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate that, just like that reflection and that makes so much sense. And I mean, even just you sharing that story of you teaching yourself to code, it's, uh, you know, it, it sounds like it was a form of training for you to really prepare you for entering the workforce and being ready for an opportunity to go grow and, and stretch if you if you went and sought those kinds of opportunities. And, and I'm curious, and it, it sounds like maybe you'll get to this later, but I'm going to ask now because the question's coming up. Like, how does that, how do you think that informs the way you lead teams now, right? Being a person who believes in, at least yourself, right? Your learning style really being rooted in learning by doing, which hint, hint is really the way learning happens. Um, how does that in, how does that inform the way that, that you now lead teams at Bowie and beyond? Yeah, well, one, one sort of really tangible aspect, I guess, of how that informs my leadership is actually during the hiring process. I have found time and time again that it is, that I've had more success hiring folks that come in with the willingness to be challenged and the drive to learn, but may not have the technical skills or the domain context right now. It's easier to teach that and to have them learn by doing than it is to bring someone in who maybe may already have the technical skills or the domain context, but might not be interested in pushing themselves much further. So I am always someone who will, I guess, sort of take a chance on, on a person who may not have the skills right now, but clearly shows the, the drive to learn. The other thing that I think this is informed is that I tend to be, I guess, a fairly forgiving, I think, with um, trial and error. I actually prefer that teams learn by trial and error. Um, you know, I think reading is always really good and really important. 
Um, but I, I really encourage teams to kind of go out and prototype and try new things and, and not be afraid to fail. Um, so, you know, hopefully I'm fairly good at that at this point, but, um, you know, I think that's how it's informed my leadership style. I, and I, I'm curious, how do you, how do you do that? Cause I think that it's such a critical component to, uh, I think, human-centered leadership that is focused on helping people grow and, and flourish. And, uh, you know, if we're gonna spend most of our waking hours working, right, we should be creating spaces where people can um, become better at things. Um, and so what that takes is being okay with people failing. And it's in all the articles right now and all the books, right, is creating a spaces that are safe for failure but I think it's so much easier yeah. said than done so how, what what do you do uh, to either get that message across to your teams and or to show up for them when they do fail yeah so one you know one one thing I'm a big believer in is making sure that people have the freedom and the time to learn skills outside of the context of the job as well. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's really important for people to take advantage of like a learning and development budget, for example, and go to conferences or virtual ones, you know, now um, and uh, spend some time getting external, um, you know, learning externally. Um, you know, I think that sets people up to have different perspectives, which is really important. Um, so, you know, one thing is just encouraging people to constantly be learning. Another is when, you know, when I'm giving people work or sort of, you know, talking about the strategy and, um, helping folks to come up with next steps, I, I see my, my role very much as the role of a guide and not someone who, um, my role isn't to say, this is the work you need to be doing, or this is exactly how to do it. In many cases at this point in my career, I don't know the right answer. I don't know exactly how to do the work um, because my scope is just, it's, it's large enough at this point where I'm not gonna be the expert in every area. And so seeing my role as the guide um, allows me to, you know, really, ask a lot of questions in one-on-ones and, you know, sort of coach people and help them to come to, um, to, to different conclusions. And, you know, so, so I think, I, th I guess I think that's, you know, one way that I, I think about helping people be okay with failure is we'll often spend times working through situations together in one-on-ones or in team settings. Another way is, um, you know, and helping to, uh, I call it protecting the team, but, you know, really um, helping to set expectations with other leaders across um, across the company. And so, um, you know, there what I'm doing is explaining that it's going to take us some time to get this right, or this is going to be a really iterative process. I'm, hu I'm a huge proponent of iteration and not, you know, releasing things or, or doing work uh, in kind of these big bang approaches. Um, you know, so I really try to create a culture where, people can work in smaller steps, people feel comfortable um, expressing themselves and, you know, working with me, 
and uh, as more of a guide. Um, and then, you know, working externally, I guess those are the three things that I, I think about. Oh, I love all of it. One of the metaphors that came to my mind that um, someone shared me with one, one time is, um, you know, I, I, I certainly push back on the concept of a, I don't know if you've heard this one before, the shit umbrella, right? Where a leader should protect teams from the shit that's out there in an organization. And I often push back on that because I think that one, people need to understand what's going on in organizations and things that might get yeah. in their way when they get to the next level. Um, so maybe more of a shit filter. But you know, one one metaphor that somebody shared with me that came to mind as you were talking is is thinking about the role of a leader as a snowplow, right? So you're, you can push away some of the sort of extraneous factors, or if not push away, almost ready the organization for the path that your team is going to take, right? And this path might take more time because we're trying to get it right and we're learning. And so my role is to not get rid of every obstacle, but make sure that sort of the, the external environment is prepared for the, the path that the team is going to take. So uh, I love everything that you're hitting on there. Um, and so much of, I think what you articulated, like being a great leader in today's world where everything is changing all the time is sitting down and shutting up and asking some good questions to help people learn. Cause none of yeah, us really know the right that's answer. That's exactly right. right. And I, I, I don't know one thing that you just said and kind of talking about the, the snowplow approach is you know, I'm also a proponent of making sure that there's transparency and people do see how things are running without um, without there being any kind of sugarcoating or hiding of information. I think it's really important to make sure that people also see opportunities there. Um, and so, you know, and maybe this is going back to another way that I hopefully make people feel comfortable failing is when I have career conversations with folks on my team, you know, I'm very much trying to learn more about what interests them, what they have worked on that doesn't interest them, and then trying to, you know, connect what they're, uh, what they are interested in to opportunities, even if the opportunities haven't presented themselves or aren't readily available uh, right now. So, um, you know, sometimes I need to, kind of power, like move things around a little bit to make sure that I can create those opportunities for folks on the team. Um, so just, just another thing I, I, you know, you kind of sparked my, uh, my thinking about there. Yeah, that's great. And it, to me, that really connects to this part of your journey that you've talked about, right? So it sounds like you, that was created for you early on in your career uh, when you were at Athena. And so feels to me like a little, little bit of leadership karma that you're helping pay that forward to your teams as well and in, in being able to find opportunities to yeah. explore themselves. So let's move on to because I could I could probably spend an hour on each of the icons. I'm, I'm learning as a podcast host that I got to help uh, push myself along. So take us to yeah, you know, the next so the part next of your part journey, Greg. Is, um, is actually coming out at work. Um, if, if it's not obvious from uh, you know, the, the pride fist and uh, the, the boulder situation kind of falling and the, uh, the empathy heart there. But um, the, you know, this is something that, that uh, I, I did for the first time in my career at Athena when I was actually 
fairly early on, probably like, you know, six or seven months into it. And, um, you know, I, I thought really hard about how to talk about this for a leadership podcast, because it's, it's not, it's not exactly about, um, it's a little bit about me, but, you know, I actually was really encouraged to come out at work by someone who I really look up to, um, uh, this woman, Beth, who I worked with at Athena, um, and, and still stay in touch with today, um, who really encouraged me to, um, to feel comfortable, um, coming out at work. And, and, you know, she, she actually ran the ERG at Athena and, um, it was something that, you know, it got to a point where it was something that I, I was thinking about all the time. Um, and, you know, was obviously, you know, quite worried about it and, and nervous about how it could impact my career. And, you know, I sort of took that plunge. And I think um, for me, it it really solidified just how, um, I guess, how difficult it is to do that. It also um, was incredible for me to um, feel comfortable around, um, I guess, or to, I guess, sort of, it was a trust moment for me. um, And it was a moment where I learned to, to trust other leaders and start to identify qualities of leadership that were really good. You know, I think in this case, it was really about empathy. And that has really, uh, I think that in a big um, miles, that was a big milestone in my career that allowed me to be more empathetic and to try to not just think about the professional side of work and of leading, but also the personal side as well. And, um, you know, for me, that's actually been really groundbreaking. Um, You know, I've I've worked with, um, you know, I've managed many teams at this point and there have been a couple of instances where you know people have come to me and have actually come out or have talked about you know how difficult it has been in prior parts of their career um to to be you know lgbtq and in in the closet at, at work um and it's it's led to some really good and fruitful discussion and um, positive change at, you know, I think at Cargurus, where we both work together, I think that that would be one example. Yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing, Greg. And I, I think for, um, I, I think just being so thoughtful as you always are, but just in, even in your uh, preparing for this conversation and thinking about the, the so what for our, for our listeners. So, um, so thank you for your your vulnerability there, and yeah, as always, your your just ultimate thoughtfulness. Um, I'm and I, you know, you related the experience at Cargurus, and and certainly I, I saw firsthand that your leading by example, right? It, it, one leading by example, and I don't think leadership always has to be by example, but it's something that you did, right? Made you were the snowplow, I think, for a lot of people at the organization um, in, in this sense, in, in, in being able to be more open about uh, who they are. And, uh, and also beyond leading by example is if you're leading by proactive strategy as well and, and helping set up an ERG 
uh, employee resource group for the LGBTQ community. Before we even had those established, you were leading one to make sure that people had a safe space. Um, and it sounds like from your story that in part comes from having people that created that space for you. Um, That's right. To yeah, do just absolutely. That as well. I, I'm curious from in the experience of coming out, uh, what became possible for you once you didn't have to hold that part of your identity back? Yeah, anymore? I mean, I guess, you know, like one of the first things, you know, so after that, that happened, I actually, um, I actually went through a pretty intense breakup and was able to like gain a lot of support while I was at work um, from colleagues, which was pretty phenomenal. I remember, I remember like booking a conference room for like a half an hour just to like let it all out. And I had a couple of colleagues that were like right there with me comforting me. Um, and so it was like this ability to like, you know, I think the term now is like bring your whole self to work, but it, it sort of really felt that way. Um, I think it also, for me, it, it just, it was, it made me realize that, um, and, and it wasn't immediate, right. But like, after I came out, I, I moved teams, I, you know, eventually was promoted. It made me realize that this wasn't something that was going to thankfully at, at, at this day and age holds me back. And it, it was kind of, a, I guess, a loss of that fear, which was just so incredible. And it was one, uh, one less thing that I had to think about every day. Um, and it was something that was constantly on my mind and to some extent is still constantly on my mind, but much uh, in, in a much more forgiving way, I think. Yeah, I, I'm curious if you're willing to share. I mean, that's that's one thing I, I, I am. I'm just curious about is um, do you do you have to go through a process, a similar process in each new company that you step into? And how how has it perhaps changed over time informed by that? Yeah, experience? I, I do. I have had to. Um, so I think that first experience was really, really difficult but then turned into something so incredible. And I had such an amazing community surrounding me that I, I couldn't imagine it any differently. And so the next place I went, I, I actually, it was something that I thought about during the recruiting process. And I, um, it, it was interesting. I actually wasn't able to get a great answer about, um, you know, sort of ERGs at, at that point at, at the company that I joined. And I was, um, you, you know, I, yeah, I, I sort of, you know, I joined another company and knowing it, I was taking a leap of faith and, you know, I had felt good enough that, that I would, I would be able to feel comfortable, but I knew for a while I was going to feel uncomfortable. And I knew if I wanted to move somewhere else, I would have to give up that community in some ways. Um, and, and I took the plunge and had to do it all over again a second time, um, which was, uh, you know, a little bit tough, but, but ultimately was, um, you, you know, a really good experience. And then in joining my latest company, 
Um, it actually was much easier. And I think part of it was, was the culture that I saw at, at Bowie. And, um, you know, part of it was that I had just gotten much more comfortable with myself. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, and, and, you know, I'm hearing both just your own growth there. Right. And courage in, 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 being more vulnerable, but also I think something to be learned for leaders of companies and organizations is um, how are you send, sending a signal to current and future employees that you are an environment where you want people to bring, you know, you said it, your whole, their whole selves or as much of themselves as they want to to work. And I do a lot of work right now with with companies devising diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies. And, and a big part of that is just, if you authentically want to be a more inclusive and diverse environment, what are the signals that you're sending throughout your recruiting process? So people don't have to feel a sense of anxiety about- That's absolutely right. I think it workplace. can go a really long way during the recruiting process to make sure that everyone feels comfortable to have, have a diverse group of folks that are on every panel have commitments to diversity and what real commitments to diversity that are on your website and you know are really visible. I think that does go a long way. Hmm. And I and I think you 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 said this right. I I think the lessons learned from this experience, I would imagine, or maybe you, I'm not imagining because you just said it is. Um, just what that experience I would imagine taught you about leaning into uncomfortable conversations, right? If we go back to our first conversation about fighting for what's right and that not always being easy and my being inspired by you just leaning into hard conversations, I, I would imagine that experience just more generally informs your leadership style and being able to step into the discomfort. Because I, I, I'm also imagining there's probably not a whole lot that sort of like compares. Yeah, in that's terms a, of it's a great point. And I, I think work. you're absolutely right there. It's, um, it's, it, that definitely is, you know, one of the more uncomfortable moments. And yeah, I think that's definitely informed my ability to have uncomfortable conversations. Hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that, Greg. I really, I really value that and appreciate your um, just being so candid and vulnerable and, and yeah. this part of your journey. So what's next? We got I see yeah. A farmer, so those I see a just doctor. represent different what's stakeholders, actually. And so what I'm what I'm pointing out here is that I took on a role. So I mentioned after this first incredible role at Athena, I went onto another team called the Core Analytics team. It was very much a technical team, um, really working on kind of I think before the term data science was around. You know, there were some kind of earlier. Uh, data science-like projects that were happening. And the way that this team was set up was that each person, each analyst um, worked with a different department or a different group of stakeholders. And so where I had been used to having kind of a whole team around me, I now was part of a team, but we were sort of embedded within other, other parts of the organization. And so, um, what I really learned there in this role um, was how important stakeholder management is and actually how to manage stakeholders, how to set expectations, um, how to relate to different types of people that have different professional backgrounds. 
Um, and, you know, importantly, in a technical field, how to speak um, about technical things in a way that, you know, everybody can can understand. Um, so th that, you know, that's sort of what that, you know, that analytics like pie chart thing represents. And then those people are just different stakeholders. Uh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I've spent a, a lot of time myself in the in the tech industry and have uh, no understanding of technological things whatsoever. So I know that I certainly appreciate leaders who can uh, be colloquial in the way that they they talk about technical problems. Um, I, I'm curious how. Were there any moments of failure there? Like, were there any moments where where you got it wrong and and had to learn? Absolutely, to adapt and to you know, one thing stakeholders? I, I'm actually realizing now, I might not in the first few have talked enough about the importance of failure, but that is definitely a theme that has come up multiple times in my career. Um, but yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, there were moments where. Um, I would need to present findings to more senior leaders at the company. And because of the technical nature of what I was presenting, um, which was very much very deep knowledge about how um, claim reimbursement and healthcare works, um, I would find myself talking and people asking me to just constantly repeat or rephrase or say, what is the impact of what you just said? Um, and this happened time and time again, and it took me actually quite a while to really figure out how to talk to more senior leaders at the company that really just wanted an answer. There were times when I would, um, I would, you know, frankly, kind of overpromise things that I would be able to do, not really, you know, knowing whether or not I could do them because I was trying to, um, you know, I was younger in my career, I was trying to please, and you know, I wasn't. Um, you know, I thought I could, I was more invincible, I could figure it out. And I, I learned the hard way for sure that, um, you know, sometimes you have to set expectations and not be afraid of disappointing people. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think there were, there were a number of different times when, when I failed or, you know, didn't, didn't uh, approach things as, as well as I could have. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, again, am inspired. I wish I could be much better at learning to set clear expectations. It's still hard. Okay yeah, it's, no it's something. something that is absolutely still hard for me. But it's, <laughs> you know, I think at that point, I, I wasn't responsible for a team. And once you're responsible for a team, and you have to do this in order to make sure that other people can be successful, um, it's even more important, but also almost, it's almost extra hard in that case too. Yeah. I think one of the things that, that strikes me here too, is, is it's your reflections on learning in, in learning to communicate with different stakeholders as you, as, as you, I think in particular sort of for lack of a better term, rise in the ranks of leadership and, and your day-to-day -day management perhaps lessens and you your leadership is becoming a communicator, becoming a communicator across silos and bringing, bringing 
team and bringing information from your team back to a wide variety of stakeholders. So just how, how critical of a learning experience that must have been yeah, for absolutely. you to be able to I, do that And I think another well. part of it is also figuring out how to not always how to not always say no. Um, you know, there were, I sort of did this thing where I, I wouldn't say no to anything. And then I, I think the, the pendulum swung back a little bit too far. And I was, you know, I would say like, I can't take that on in this amount of time. I can't, you know, I can't do this. I can't do that. And so what I, what I actually started to learn is how to help stakeholders, um, how to find creative solutions to help other people um, in a professional setting. So where to, you know, work with them to figure out how to potentially cut scope or iterate over and over again. And I think my push for and, and love of iteration definitely came from this role as well. Yeah, I think one of the one of the things that strikes me there is just leadership is about people, right? It's it's yes, there are technical things that your team is creating or analyzing or processing, right? As just as any leader's teams is doing more functional things, but ultimately you're leading human beings. You're leading them to solve challenges, to deal with problems and challenges. And I think that's certainly something I've seen reflected in your leadership. I recall one particular project that you were uh, at the helm of that was one of the stickiest. Yeah projects ever I think I have seen in my career that I as a non-technical person really didn't understand <laughs> an ounce of literally not an ounce of what was going on um, but what what I saw in your leadership and, and that of some others was was really bringing humanity to this really giant technical problem and how do you one communicate to people like me that don't understand this problem how it's impacting people day to day and, and almost on the flip side of that, to the people that understand the technical components, how do you support their humanity through this, this challenge and not just right, absolutely. them solve I mean, these you know, to technical kind of problems? Maybe overlay another definition of leadership. Um, if I can have more than one definition, it's about bringing out, it's, it's about bringing out the of best course. in other people or creating situations where people can do their best work. Um, and it's obviously easier said than done, but you know, with that project that you're talking about and with many others, for me, it's, it has been about finding ways to just make sure that the environment that people are working in is a safe one and one where they can thrive as much as possible, even if things going on outside are a little bit chaotic. No, I love <laughs> that definition, Greg. You can have as many as you want, because that's a good one, too. <laughs> Um, so what's next? I, I, you know, we might not have time to, to get through all of them. So bring us to the, the next icon yeah, that's so most meaningful to you that you want the, to share. The next one I would go to is, you know, I'll kind of just go through this next row here. So um, you're, you're actually going down one, which has two people. And that Great. indicates this was really representing my first time at people management. And the two people um, there, uh, the ones in red, sort of indicate that I hired my first person and immediately felt very much like, you know, I, I was very lucky. I hired someone really incredible who I have the privilege of still working with today. And, um, you know, I very much felt like it's, you sort of set it by bringing the humanity into, into leadership, but, you know, 
that there's sort of an evenness. You know, I never really looked at it as kind of an orchard when I hired my first person. It was very much that, you know, we were kind of supporting each other. Um, and so um, that that's what that one indicates. So that was my first people management role where I, I learned a ton um, about how to delegate, how to onboard, um, how to uh, how to motivate, um, you know, definitely was not great at all at delegating for a long time. <laughs> um, so, you know, I learned a lot there. The second set of icons here, which has the fire in the wall, which actually represents a firewall, um, which is a technical term <laughs> for a it's, a, it's a mechanism for blocking out intruders or, you know, kind of protecting your network. Um, this represents a particular project that I worked on at Athena that was very highly visible, um, very exciting. And uh, at that point I had a larger team and I saw my role as making sure that the people on the team that were working on this extremely important and um, at times chaotic project felt motivated, that's the forklift. <laughs> and then um, were shielded in some way and you know that they didn't have executives kind of going directly to them asking for things but that they you know felt like they had the the time and direction that they needed to do their best work so that's sort of that middle set of icons there um and then i think we can actually skip uh over the uh this kind of recycling one here over to this one that says exit it has a broken heart sign um and then it has this like heart at the top with arrows pointing mm. up, which represented actually an increase in morale. And this represents the first time, and I remember it so vividly that I had to let somebody go. And, you know, I think a lot of people who are leaders would probably say that this was really formative for them too. But for me, it was certainly a really, really tough situation, a hard decision that ultimately you know, I saw the toll that that this particular individual was taking on the team, and I saw the improvement in the team's morale after after this happened. So um, that's what that that set of symbols there represents. Oh, I I love it. I feel like one, you are a master of metaphor, my friend, uh, and two, like this this row to me feels like the people manager development role, right? Deve leading your first team of people, hiring your first people, figuring out how to do that well, figuring out how to motivate people through a really tough time, letting somebody go for the first time and uh, the, the pain that sort of inherent in that process, but also very often the all the positivity that comes from yeah, it. Yeah, this feels absolutely. like and actually, well, people manage really quickly that here, um, the one right before the uh, the exit is indicative. The the three arrows that kind of look like recycling, and then like with a little share button next to it, is I, I put that there to indicate that I was getting a ton of feedback from all directions during this entire process as I was a new people manager taking on more and more people. And, um, you know, you said this whole kind of feels like your growth as a people manager. Um, you know, I do just want to call out that the way I grew was really just getting constant feedback from, from folks.
Oh, I'm so glad that you uh, you wound up highlighting that because I think that's such an important skill to learn is how to receive feedback because it's, I don't even think getting feedback that's positive is all that easy. I honestly, I tell people like makes me super uncomfortable, right? People telling you how you're doing and whether it's good or bad. Um, I, I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about your journey of, yeah, learning to receive um, feedback it, from all directions. For me, I'm I, you know, hearing hearing constructive feedback is is you know I think it's it's tough for for most certainly is is tough for me. Um, you know, my my journey. I'm like trying to work through <laughs> how how I've gotten better at it, and I think it's that I've been able to. Um, you know, so getting feedback from from folks on my team, um, folks that report into me or I have some level of responsibility for, is something that I value. I I, I really treasure. And even in in that scenario, getting constructive feedback is it is so helpful because ultimately I feel responsible for making sure that that folks on my team are, uh, as I said it before able to do their best work, that they don't think that they have a terrible job, joy coming to work. And, um, you know, so for me, it's, it's actually not that hard to hear feedback from that direction, because I just recognize this, like the importance of improving for the sake of making sure they're taken care of, if that makes sense. Um, and so I, I think what's tougher for me is, you know, for other parts, getting feedback from other parts of the organization. And it, and it's not tough in the sense that, that I don't value it. I value it deeply and I value improving very much. Um, but it's, you know, there it's a lot more about me and, and me figuring out how I can improve for myself generally. Um, so I think, you know, for me, I've been able to, in that sense, I've been able to over many, many years, deep, depersonalize, if that's a word, you know, uh, a lot of the feedback and recognize that it's not, it's not about me as a person, it's about me as, um, as a professional, or, or as, you know, someone working on a particular project, or um, as somebody growing in my career. So, um, and frankly, the feedback that I've received, um, I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't gotten some fairly harsh feedback. So, um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, I value it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And I, I love that you use the word depersonalize. I think that was coming up for <laughs> me as such a, I think one, I think it is a word uh, Two, I think as, as an important, yet another important skill to that you need to develop to become a leader and a, a good leader at the very least. And um, it, it's a really interesting, I think, needle to thread, right? Which is how do I take this, internalize this, understand what behaviors or skills perhaps I can change, what things maybe I don't want to change because I can also be my own filter of feedback and I need to understand that some things I don't want to change about myself. Um, and to your point, it's not about me as a person, 
Uh, it's about ideally, right? Especially if people are giving me a good feedback, it's about my behaviors and my actions and, and how, you know, I can change them for the benefit of right. the team, those around me, you know, whatever we're talking about. Um, were there any times I'm, I'm curious, were there, had there ever been instances where you've gotten feedback yeah, that you um, didn't agree with there, and, there and actually had to a discard it? Couple, uh, a couple of times, you know, I, I don't know that I've actually ever gotten feedback that was, you know, really, you know, kind of fundamental in, in nature that, that I felt like I've had to discard. Um, you know, I've gotten feedback uh, about, um, you know, little things that, you know, I think were maybe kind of uh, just in the moment, like, you know, maybe catching me on a bad day or something like that. I think I once got feedback that said something like, pay more attention in meetings. And, um, you know, there, uh, you know, that part, like, it's very possible I wasn't paying enough attention in one particular meeting. But I think overall, like, there wasn't a lot of behavior change that came out of something like that. I think a lot of the feedback, you know, but I have, I have gotten really good fundamental feedback before I've gotten feedback that, you know, sometimes I need to dive deeper to understand or to like really dig into problems. I've gotten feedback that I shoulder too much work and I'm not delegating enough, um, you know, and, and that's feedback that I've been able to actually build upon and learn from and take to heart. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess I haven't gotten a ton that's, uh, that I've felt has, you know, been not useful in, in some way. That's great. Yeah, because I think what, one of the things you hit on too is even feedback that is uh, perhaps just in the moment feedback and, and doesn't speak to a larger issue or maybe it's delivered poorly because it's hard to give good feedback. There's still something to be learned there, right? And it's obvious from your journey map so far that you are just a really dedicated learner. Um, and another thing that I think, you know, as I'm looking at this people management row, as I sort of taking a look at the you know, your forklift holding people up to motivate them during sounds like a difficult time. And, and, and even thinking about um, the story you shared about letting somebody go for the first time. Uh, I, what resonates for me, and I'm curious if this rings true for you, but I think what resonates for me is, again, I think like a really just human-centered approach to your leadership. I think, you, you know, you you nailed it with saying that your definition of, of leadership is you know, creating a space to bring out the best in people. Um, I, I'm curious, like, what are, what are some of the values that you've developed as a leader through these experiences? Or maybe that you haven't developed, but that are just like, are core to who you are that also just yeah that's a good question experiences one value would be that we're all i mean this is this is going to sound kind of silly but you know we're all on an even playing field we're just in different parts of our careers or um or in in you know have different and i say that because i I never think of myself as the, this might be kind of controversial for some listeners, but I don't, I don't really think of myself as, you know, kind of the, the best or that, or the head of the pack or, 
right? I think that I see myself as, you know, again, a, a guide and someone who's there to, to help people along. Um, and maybe that's more about sort of the servant leadership mindset that, um, that I, I, I do absolutely subscribe to. Um, you know, value is really just giving people, um, giving people a chance. Um, I think there have been times when I've in, in my career where, um, you know, I've had to work with people that at first blush, I, um, either didn't agree with, with, and, you know, some of those people I, I still keep in touch with today. And, you know, it, it, it just took time. It was just, uh, a, a particular situation or circumstance when I met that led, you know, relationship at the time developing. So always giving people, you know, one or one, two, three chances, right? Um, uh, you know, I think those are two, I guess, two values that um, that come to mind immediately. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and uh, I, I wrote down uh, a word as you were talking. I think it resonated in both of those for me is just humility, right? And I think what, what strikes me is like bringing humility to your role as a leader, right? You said, I'm not the best. I'm the same as everybody else. We're all just people. And I think that humility enables that to happen. But I think also allows you to bridge divides or barriers that you might have with people that you, know, you just touched on people even you maybe had some challenges working with just giving I think humility and giving yeah. people the benefit of the doubt go hand in hand because who among us hasn't had a really bad day or a week right I, I didn't get enough sleep on Wednesday night and I was a grumpy Gus on Thursday and I needed everybody around me uh, or at least virtually around me to uh, have some humility and give me the benefit of the doubt that day, right? My husband included. Um, so, so I love that that you bring that to your leadership, regardless of whether absolutely it's somebody on your team and, or somebody that you know. You are that is, it's so important, especially with. if I think back to, you know, and I hope it's okay to say this on the podcast, but the dumpster fire that was 2020. You know, every. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go for it, please. Um, even more explicit yeah, language. I'll know, just put an E on the podcast. Was, <laughs> um, you know, a horrible year for for so many reasons, for so many people. It was a strange year. It was, um, you know, it did not create a place where people could um, could be their best and people had to adapt and um, uh, in, in so many ways and, and not just because of the coronavirus, but because of racial injustice, um, because of, um, you know, a, a really horrible um, you know, sort of administration that was happening in the, in the US. But anyway, um, you know, having that, that, that mindset of, you know, giving people a chance and really in listening to understand and, um, you know, really trying to, um, you know, cut some slack was really important during that time. You know, everybody was going through their own version of 2020 and going through their own, um, uh, their own difficulties. And so, um, you know, for me, that was, that was extremely important this past year. 
Yeah, so well said. Yeah, I, you know, I think that it's, it needs to be said, right? And I think that um, I, not that anything about 20, so I, there were some th- good things about 2020, but in terms of all that was the dumpster fire of 2020, at the very least, I think uh, one of the silver linings I as a leadership development professional and coach have taken away from this year is that it's forced, I think, more and more people to uh, view their role in leadership in the way that you're doing, right? Which is that we are all whole people and what's outside of work is gonna impact us inside of work and vice versa. And so we, you know, we need to be both humble and to use your words earlier, empathetic. So I think that there's, there's something to be said for creating a place where people can bring their whole selves to work and there's something to be said for even if people don't want to bring their whole selves to work, we are whole people and what's going on outside of work is going to impact us every day. And what's going on at work is going to impact our lives outside of work. And we really need to recognize that um, when we're leading yeah. other people because we yeah, have so absolutely. much influence and, and impact I actually on, just on thought their about whole two lives more values that I'll talk to really quickly um, that are important to me because I, I was sort of thinking more in the back of my head, but one is transparency. Um, I, I tend oh, yeah. to be very transparent with folks on my team. Um, you know, so sometimes to a fault, I would say, you know, where I, I just think it's so important for everyone to be working off of the, the latest information, even if it's not technically public. Um, I just find that it builds trust and it gives people what they need to anticipate. And then the second, the second value is it's, I don't know, sort of a silly or maybe overused one, but leading by example. And it's not one I'm, I would consider myself particularly good at yet. You know, there have been times when I've certainly gotten overheated in meetings or where I haven't, you know, shut down enough at at night um, or on the weekends. And, you know, I I absolutely try not to make a habit of those things, but, um, you know, I, I do... I do think that's a very, very important quality. Yeah, so well said. I, I love it. And yeah, I think there's, I, I always am, I always wonder, can one be too transparent, right? And I think yeah. you can probably be tra- transparent unskillfully. Right, but I think there. I to to me, I would push back on the notion that you can be too transparent if you're being thoughtful on in the way that you're being transparent. Because I think, as we talked about a little earlier, it's just like to me, it just becomes leadership right. development right. for those around you when you can be really open and honest about the reality of what's going on. Ugh, I love it, Greg. So let's do this. Let's let's go to this last row of. Uh, icons that you have and maybe bring us through those in the same way and then we'll do yeah that sounds do a good similar so thing and, and double click on set of what comes up for both of us as we go through uh, these a ton of different people um a lot of people uh that represents really this is is represented my last role at athena where you know i all of a sudden had a team of i think it was about 25 people um i, I had really multiple teams at that point under me um i think the most important part this diagram though is managing change and so 
this like other forklift and then this this person who's running with a trophy attached to his head are really about finding you know lifting people up finding people's motivation and helping them to get through change and the change here was that you know i was um all of a sudden responsible for a much larger team and had less time to spend with each of you know each of the directs that i had had for a few years at that point and we moved um uh, divisions within the company. So we moved from um, the analytics division that we had been in for a very long time uh, to uh, the core engineering division. And so I was having to, to kind of grapple with that change myself and moving to a new um, a new manager. And I had to do the same for, for folks on my team and what it would be like to be, you know, literally moving, moving buildings and moving um, different different parts of the organization, having different people around you that you would be working with. And so um, to me that this row or this set of icons really represents managing change. Um, and then the globe actually was sort of one piece of it, which is that I also um, became the manager of a team that we had in India. And so that was my first foray into managing remote teams, which that could probably be a whole other episode. <laughs> um, but that, you know, that really represents just, again, a lot of change that was happening. And then the second group of icons, which uh, is a ship's wheel, um, listening, so there's an ear, um, and then some people, uh, which represent contractors, because they're wearing hard hats. <laughs> this represents, um, you know, a, a time in my career where I was asked to take on the a very large team um, that who, whose work I actually didn't have a lot of experience in at all. And my manager at the time said to me, they don't need somebody who is an expert in any of this. They need someone to lead them. You're going to have the experts on your team. And so this represents that moment in my career where I was really uncomfortable because I it was the first time I had truly taken on an area that I didn't have expertise in and had to navigate leading through that. Um, and this last set of icons here is actually my move to Bowie where this first one, this like sort of risk rainbow thing happening is sort of represents that I, I took a risk. It was really the first time in my career I felt like I was taking a pretty major risk. It was a smaller company. Um, it was, uh, you know, it had a really important mission, but, uh, you know, sort of was unclear. It was, you know, a startup, un unclear what the next round of funding would look like, that type of thing. Um, but I was so compelled by the compassion that I saw in everyone there, which is that heart being held by the hands, um, that ultimately I, I went over there. And, and the other piece of it that was challenging was I was, again, moving into a role where, there were pieces that I understood with great depth, but there were also pieces that I didn't have as much depth in. And that, that sort of represents uh, or is represented by um, that potted plant with a person in it. Oh, I love it. I, I just wrote down <laughs> compelled by compassion. I, I, maybe that'll be the name of your your biography someday, your autobiography. I love that. I'm just taking note or I'm going to steal it from you and 
write a blog post called Compelled by Compassion. Uh, that's that's beautiful. Um, you know, as you were going through all of these different experiences, maybe a little bit less so when you get to your experience moving on to Bowie, but certainly uh, your experience leading leading from the middle in the midst of change management, um, and and your experience taking on this team where you didn't have as much expertise. I found they myself literally getting uncomfortable as you were talking about those experiences. Because uh, they all sound just inherently uncomfortable. So my, my question to you is, what, what have you learned that you need to do to take care of yourself in the midst of all that discomfort of change management and, and leading. Cause I, I, I think that as you advance as a leader, you just step into increasingly uncomfortable situations. Um, and so you just to one survive, you need to take care of yourself. And, and I think two, you would agree to just be there for other people. You need to take care of other people. So what yeah, have you learned yeah. so you need to do to, to take care of yourself in the midst of network, all the discomfort? so grateful to have a great support network, you know, whether it's my husband or um, my, uh, my parents or, um, you know, my just amazing group of friends um, in, in my community. You know, one is just really looking to them for support and whether that's just talking about it, you know, using them as like a crutch, um, venting or bitching whatever you know whatever it takes sometimes um or um you know just just learning from their experiences that's a that's really important to me um and and that's one thing i've learned that i absolutely need when when navigating through these these moments you know another is having really constant conversations with people that i'm i'm working with and so in the case of moving to a new team or new manager it's really making sure that I'm taking the time to talk with folks, to understand how they work, to understand, um, you know, what's important to them and kind of humanizing the experience a little bit more, um, I think is, is extremely important. Um, and, you know, I think the third is, is, and this has been something that has just been, has been really tough to, um, to come kind of come to terms with, but, it's really the recognition that a, a job is a job. Um, and, you know, hopefully it's not, that isn't um, too, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like too, too uh, uh, contentious of a topic to, or, or a way to phrase it, but, um, uh, you know, a job is a job. And so at, at the end of the day, what matters is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I'm able to support the people that I care about. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, and, and to not take it too seriously that I can kind of find the, um, the moments of humor where, where they are and that I can, you know, bring some levity to what could be a difficult situation. And, um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, um, I don't know, I guess life is too short to, to get too hung up on, on, so on certain uncomfortable situations. Um, it's taken me a while to get there, but, um, you know, I think that's, that's how I, I, I try to think about it now. I, 
I love that. And I'm curious, how, how are you translating that now as you are, you're at Bowie and you know, you use the term compelled by compassion, right? You are at certainly a for-profit company um, and you are at a company that really is mission-driven and heart-centered. You have this heart here. How are you, how is your leadership evolving, right? With, with the understanding that a job is a job. It's becoming now in this space where you're doing mission-driven work. What, how's your leadership really, evolving? I, I guess the phrase I would use, it's more focused on taking care of others. And it's more focused on making sure that, um, you know, I guess I said it before, but making sure that other people have what they need to to be happy and to do their best work. So sometimes that's me encouraging people to take more time off. Sometimes that's me, you know, stepping in and, uh, you know, occasionally writing code to, to help get something done that I think is really important for the mission of the company. But ultimately, um, you know, the I need to make sure that people um, are not overworked. And so sometimes I, I need to step in and, and, you know, actually help there. Um, you know, sometimes it's about, uh, putting up more boundaries and trying to lead by example that way. And, you know, making sure that I'm logging off at the end of the day, um, or that, you know, I'm, you know, kind of pushing something out an appropriate amount of time when I don't feel like it's urgent. So, um, I think it's more now about trying to set an example that others have set for me um and it's about making sure that, that the team um you know is able to not only focus on work you know i will never say things a, a, a lot of leaders will um you know that i've seen will will talk about and try to motivate people to work you know 24 7 it seems like sometimes and we'll you know talk uh sort of uh, you know a ton until they're blue in the face about the importance of the company's mission and how people just need to kind of, you know, really push through and certain things just need to get done. And, um, you know, I found myself talking like that less and less and, and really trying to help people understand that, yes, the work is important. The company is important. What we're doing is so, so important, but you are also important and you being, um, you know, and, and you sharing your skills and your motivation with us really is a, is a gift and something that, that we should celebrate as a company too. And so, um, you know, it's important that you're able to, to take time for yourself. Um, I'm not sure how eloquently that was said, but I think those are, that's sort of how I've, I've evolved. I'm misting up a little bit over here, Greg, and writing down most of the things you're saying. So I'm going to say that was all pretty eloquent, right? God, I want to work for you, Greg. I don't want to work for anybody ever again, but maybe I want to work for you. A leader who says you are a gift to us, right? You and your skills and, and the time that you give us are a gift. Um, I think what a, what a beautiful sentiment to have to the people that really are working so hard. Because I, I think... I think one thing you and I both agree on is people right. are inherently purpose-driven, right? Whether it's a mission-driven organization or not, right? People want to do good work. You have to give them a reason not to want to do good work. So to acknowledge that first and foremost and say, to be able to do this, you actually need to take care of yourself and be a person outside of this place too. 
And I also love that you've acknowledged that you're working on this yourself. A lot of leaders, um, and, and, you know, I've seen this every single place I've been, and I see a lot of leaders that revere, um, you know, I, I, I hate using names, but we'll revere folks like Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or, you know, sort of people that, um, you know, have certainly built incredible businesses in so many ways. And certainly in the case of Elon Musk has, have, you know, are, are doing things that are, have such important and great impact. Um, and I've always found myself struggling with that. And, you know, as I thought about my own, you know, how I define myself as a leader, you know, I've, there was a time when I, I sort of, I knew I didn't really look up to, to, you know, those people. And I, and I felt sort of guilty about it or like, you know, do I have any place like calling myself a leader or being a leader if I don't look up to these people who are sort of generally revered as great leaders. And I, you know, I've always struggled because I, I found to me, there's such an arrogance in, in their style in some ways. And, and that has just always been such a turnoff for me. And I think, um, you know, I've finally gotten comfortable, you know, sort of, you know, not being afraid to, you know, to say, you know, Hey, you know, folks like this are great and have done, you know, really great things, but I actually don't consider them, you know, role models of leadership in, in my opinion. So that's like another evolution for me, I think. I, I thank you so much for sharing that. And I would say the world needs more exemplars of leadership like you, right? Who are, are leading from, from this place of integrity and your values and, and really, I think in all, all of what you've articulated, really discovering what human-centered leadership can look like. And um, I'm heartened to hear that you're you're more and more finding security in that being your leadership style and knowing that there is a place for that in the corporate world in particular. I will, I think I shared this with you. I don't think I've shared this with our listeners yet. I sent out a, I sent out a query to, to people and I said, who do you want to hear on this podcast? And two oh one, oh my the first group of people that I reached out to, <laughs> every single one said Greg JB first and foremost. So that's that's real, man. If you need the feedback, that's that's the real. Feedback. I really appreciate so, that. Wow. So keep I, um, being you. I'll do my best my to keep being me. Well, Greg, this has been just a delight. Uh, my my heart and my soul are feeling really full right now. I've I've certainly learned it. Before we wrap up officially, I would love to hit you with our seven rapid fire questions where I'll just ask a question yeah, and you give me the it. answer that comes to me. Sound good? Okay. Um, empathy. What is one word, Greg, you associate with leadership? What is the most important skill for a leader to develop? What is one thing, a uh, skill, etc., not necessarily work or leadership related, but it can be. Um, so what is one thing that huh. you are currently um, learning and it doesn't need or to be related towards? to leadership? I I guess I'm learning to I'm learning to be a better songwriter, if I can say that, because that's something I'm very actively working on. You can certainly say that. I love that. Bring your rock and roll into it. Who is one leader, alive or deceased or fictional, uh, you'd want to have Stacey a conversation Abrams. with over a long dinner or a hike in the woods? Nice. What is one movie you uh, do okay. or would so, reference as an example of leadership I and action? I love movies, but I'm terrible at remembering them. Can If I gave you a song, would that be okay? Or do you want me to pick a movie? 
song is Rebel Girl by Bikini Kill. Okay. I'm going to go listen to that after. What is one book, podcast, or I would recommend how I you'd recommend for someone interested in learning more about Um, leadership? It's not only about leadership, but there are so many moments in every episode where the 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 person being interviewed typically someone who has founded a really um really amazing or interesting company where they've had to go through a really difficult or multiple difficult moments um many of them have uh inspired their leadership style so i think i think that's a really good one nice well greg uh i have taken up so much of your time uh thank you for this thank you for your your candor your vulnerability sharing so much of your journey lessons learned uh honesty with us uh, i really like appreciate I said, it this I has been tons of fun thank you so much like you out there in every sector